Alrighty, gang. Welcome to Brolosophy. Philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. Um, so, <clears throat> today, we are sponsored by True Protein. So, if you guys want supplements for all your training needs, uh, True Protein are the place to go. So, you can head to trueprotein.com.au and check out their full range. So their full range includes all your different types of proteins, whey protein, vegan protein, weight loss protein, night protein, elite protein, collagen protein. Look, to be honest, they might have too much protein. Um, Also, they have performance-based blends, weight loss blends, meal replacement blends, post-workout fat burners, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mass gainers, they've got um, health foods like... um, superfood powders, nut butters, uh, MCT oils, all the good stuff. So no matter what you guys are trying to do for your training and wellness needs, um, if you're a weightlifter, if you're a figure model, if you're a keto kid, um, whatever you need, True Protein have got it for you. So that's really great. And they're a partner of ours and a long-time partner of ours. So if you want to support the show, then if you have supplement needs, then head on over to trueprotein.com.au, use the code BRO, and you will get 10% off. Also, we are brought to you today by Yeti. So Yeti guys, uh, I've lost my Yeti read um, about um, what Yeti are, but they're actually just, to simplify it, they're the best, <clears throat> to simplify it, they're the best premium outdoor brand uh, in the Australian marketplace. So they have multiple different uh, options for your coolers. So getting out into the wild, if you're going camping, if you're going fishing, if you're going um, just a weekend away, uh, you're having a barbecue with your, with your buds. They've got the Tundra, which is this massive um, epic cooler that's probably, it's probably you would have to say, the best cooler, um, you know, um, what would you call it? Esky in Australia, chili bin, chili bun, chili, chili bun in New Zealand. Um, Bugger if I know what they call it in other places. But <clears throat> they've got the best coolers uh, in the world, really. So um, here's some of the uh, here's some of the read. Born out of a frustration with coolers that cracked, caved, and gave up, Yeti set out to improve three main elements: durability, extended ice retention, and weather resistance. Um, so I've got my um, Yeti tumbler next to me here. Keeps my water and or coffee hot and or cool, which is great. Um, they've got all kinds of stuff, guys. So um, basically, why is Yeti worth it? Well, you get what you pay for, superior insulation. They're virtually indestructible and you get a five-year warranty on all hard coolers. So to learn more about Yeti, jump online at au.yeti.com forward slash bro. And don't look back. Alrighty. Lastly, guys, we are brought to you today by Athena. So what is Athena? Athena is an online freelancer marketplace, guys. So basically what we do is we find the most talented freelancers all around the world and we align them with our clients to work inside of their business. So if you're a business owner, for example, and you have... Let's use, let's use a, a worked example here. So Say you're a business owner and you have 40 hours in your week and it's you and a small team and so on and so forth. Um, if you've got 40 hours in your week and you split those ta- uh, that time into tasks, so you've got your real top priority tasks, 15 hours a week, that's sales, marketing, retention, um, whatever that might be. Then you've got, say, 10 hours of in-between, middle, middle grade tasks, stuff that's not the absolute needle movers, but stuff that still needs to be done. And then you've got 15 hours of absolute rubbish tasks, low value tasks, I shouldn't say it like that. Um, but tasks that need to be done, but don't need to be done by the most experienced, you know, the most um, trusted uh, members of the team. So that might be some sort of um, research, data entry, Um, reconciling the books, chasing failed payments. All these tasks exist inside of every business. And the whole idea is to get a really highly qualified, motivated, overqualified really, um, you know, uh, squire to come in and help you in your business to take those 15 hours of, you know, low value tasks, 
turn them into maybe two hours of management or an hour of management per week and then give you 13 or 14 hours to focus on the high value stuff. So it's more sales, marketing, retention, partnerships, product development, whatever it is. That's how business really should work, guys. You should be building a team around you in order for you to concentrate on the most important things as the entrepreneur or the business owner or the leader or whatever you want to call yourself um, and making sure that the, the low end stuff gets taken by um, taken off your plate by somebody who can um, yeah help you do your best work. So if you're in a position where you need some administrative help, if you're in a position where you need some um, some some content marketing help, some some media help, some SEO, um, whatever it is, we can help you. We can find whoever you're looking for. So to make an inquiry, head to athena.co um, or uh, and you'll get 20 hours free if you use the code bro when you in the in the inquiry box. Um, also, you can also email me directly if you have any questions at doc, D-O-C, at athena.co and that's A-T-H-Y-N-A. And that's it. So here's the show. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. All right, cool. Well, the Brolosophy podcast is back and we're here with Peter Drew. So, Peter, thanks for coming in. You're in Melbourne for the weekend? Yeah, yeah, just for the weekend. Cool, cool. All right, so um, Peter, is, um, Peter is an artist who's um, come into some sort of, um, what would you call it? Come into some sort of um, renown, renown yeah. since the um, notoriety, infamy, no, notoriety <laughs> since the and it's the real Australians say welcome. That's probably where it started the, yeah. that campaign. All right, cool. What, well, Peter, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell um, our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you came to um, yeah political art or art. Well, I make posters. Um, most people would recognise. The Real Australians Say Welcome poster project or the Aussie posters, which are um, photographs, archival photographs of people who applied for exemptions to the white Australia policy. They, I stick them up in the street so people might recognise those posters and it just says Aussie underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been sticking up those posters around the country for a few years now. Um, and I'm interested in... Australian identity, uh, what we, what I like about Australian identity and what I don't like about it, mm-hmm. how we can change it and how art can help do that. And, uh, but I don't sort of, uh, I don't really consider myself a, I mean, I, I don't actually like a lot of political art um, and I sort of came to making political art in a very um, apprehensive way. So it's, a, it's kind of, odd in a way that I find myself making a lot of art which people see as being uh, overtly political yeah Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah I I can understand uh, how people uh, uh, dislike my posters but also uh, I can understand how people might like my posters too much (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I there's problems for you on both ends of that yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah, I just uh, and so I, I like it's. I, I always jump at the opportunity to have a conversation about it because then you you find that there's there's a lot of middle ground in which people can agree on. Mm. Um, and it's not until you're talking, you can't really do that with a poster. A poster yeah. just says, "This is what I think." Yeah, you know? that's right. You need to grab attention and be worthwhile to spend three seconds to look at and understand a poster. Yeah. But it's 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 meant to be there as the beginning of a conversation, not yeah. the end of it. Yeah, so. for sure. That's a really good way to put it. 
Um, before we dive into all that stuff that you mentioned, um, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how you were obviously pretty artistic as a kid. You come from an artistic family. A little bit, not not massively. I mean, my posters aren't particularly artistic. They're pretty <laughs> They're not Rembrandts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, my dad was an art teacher. Oh yeah. Um, and but he it was never sort of super enthusi- enthusiastic or um, encouraging about art. It was probably it was it was something I loved doing in school. But he always sort of discouraged it in a way well not didn't discourage it as a career yeah because you know it's not <laughs> yeah. you know who can make a living as an artist yeah. so, um, so it was I, I sort of dropped it halfway through school and then picked it up again sort of during uh, uni and I, I started uni uh, studying uh, commerce like mm-hmm. to become an accountant and so you know I think that's pretty good evidence that I had no idea who I was at yeah. that point in my life um, oh, no one does do that well, I don't 33, know. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> you, sometimes you meet people that are in their sort of early 20s and they know exactly what they're doing and it's like, I just feel like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the joke is that they actually really don't. Yeah. And they'll change. They'll change. We all change what we really are set out to do. You know, No one gets to 22 years old and finds their life's... Well, maybe there are a very... It's some very, lucky people. I yeah, think, some, yeah, some lucky people for sure. But I mean, I think it's quite natural to float through things and find different passions and change what you want to do and I think there's anything wrong with that but yeah so so you were um, so you got back into doing some art when you were going through university so yeah. and then what about the so do you make your living through being an artist no it's these about days? It's, it's it's a bunch of things there's I I make videos for people so that's yep. how I make most of my rent and stuff like mm-hmm. that but the the poster projects more or less pay for themselves mm-hmm. Uh, people buy the posters from me online, so I don't need to apply for grants from government bodies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the money goes back into traveling around and making the posters and sticking them up. Uh, and it's sort of, I didn't really plan it that way. It's just sort of grown organically and I've realized, well, there's kind of a split between my art practice and me uh, making money other ways to live off. And it's I'm sort of comfortable with that because I don't have to go, oh, how can I squeeze some money out of yeah. my, my art projects? Yeah. Which would be, there's a, there's a, I don't know, there's a conflict there between art and commerce. Yeah, for sure. Even me, just when you said it, I was just like, oh, I had the thought of it. It's not how art should be, really. Well, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I used to think, well, that's, that's kind of silly. Like, why isn't art just like anything else? Like, mm-hmm. um, but there, it, it's different. It, it feels different. Like, it's sort of... Because it's so, it's about curiosity and and trying to figure out the world. Mm-hmm. If it's that, and simultaneously how to make money from the world, it just feels like a conflict. I don't I don't really yeah. know how to explain it. Yeah, I don't either. But my gut turned when you said it. I understand the yeah. conflict. I think a lot of people probably do. So, um, yeah, right, cool. So, so you came from an artistic family, and and obviously, um, you know, took that through through university and stuff. So. So when did you get your passion for telling stories about politics through art or, or trying to raise these conversations and bring them to the for- forefront? Where did that all come from? Well, it wasn't until 2013 <clears throat> I was l- studying overseas. My wife and I were living in Glasgow and living overseas, you suddenly become Australian because everyone goes, oh, he's Peter the Australian guy and you go, oh, I guess I am Australian. Yeah, the kangaroo uh, rider. Yeah. <laughs> Foster's drinker. Yeah, you just sort of, the the identity gets sort of forced upon you in some sense. And I thought, well, what do I, what do I like about Australia? What don't I like? And at that time, the federal election was on and both major parties were promising to stop the boats. And that Mm. phrase just kept on, was just, you know, really strong in all the rhetoric. And I thought it's kind of a... um, Slightly absurd phrase, but it's, it's sort of like from a nation of immigrants, yeah. like that desire to stop the boats just seemed, um, you know, it, it lacked a sense of history, I guess. Mm. Um, and so I just started making political posters, although I don't I don't really like political art because it's so sure of itself, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, there's, there's been a sort of a struggle with that throughout, and, you know, f- since I've started. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, but yeah, I, I think art has to say, it has to sit on one side of the fence, you know, you, you seem to be kind of nearly apologizing for, for the art that you create, but you have to, 
you can't have a post that's like, hey, here's two sides of an argument that I'd love you to, you know, yeah, yeah, in understand fact, both both parts of and then form your own conclusion. You need to yeah, bring yeah. emotion to people. Yeah, no, you know, you're you right. You can't be in the middle. You can't <laughs> be any grey area. Yeah, because to sit on the fence is to, like, this, it's the same thing as just not making the post at all. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. here are the two halves. I'm not sure which way to go. Actually, I've decided not to make the poster. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, well, um, I was um, watching your um, your um, TEDx from Adelaide um, Reese, uh, this morning. I, I watched it. Um, I watched it when we first reached out, and then I watched it again um, this morning before the show. And so, when you started in, so you were in um, Glasgow, and then is it true that the story is you went to London and you made the famous first Australian poster about stop the boats? Is that right? Yeah. So I made a poster in the style of a sort of nineteenth-century poster, and had a picture of a ship from the First Fleet, uh, which I took from an old painting, and it says. Uh, Australia says stop the boats to avoid Aboriginal genocide stop Great Britain's illegal migration to Australia Yeah. and so I went down to London and stuck up a bunch of those and they were very uh, popular people responded to them and uh, I thought well maybe there's something here that I can sort of pursue although looking back at it there's I mean, and uh, what I do this with all of the posters I make I sort of go well what worked why did it work but what doesn't it do? What don't I like about it? And with that poster, it's sort of it's kind of easy in a way to make those like because it captures a dark irony within mm-hmm. Australia's identity, but it doesn't really offer any sort of solution or mm-hmm. it doesn't offer any middle ground. It's kind of just sort of laughing at the darkness of yeah. Australia's identity, and it's kind of easy to do that. It's very easy to just sort of go. Well, that's fucked up. Let's let's go do something else. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's that sort of spurred me on to sort of uh, make the next project better. Well, that was certainly um, when I saw that poster. That was a certainly drawing a, a line in the sand. That was a that's a very um, there's no grey area in that poster. It's even nearly calling Australians. You know, well, your forefathers are all genocidal, which is a very it's a big kick in the guts for Australians, but I really loved it. I thought it was great because I think, as you said, we've got such a short memory. You know, mm. Australia has a very short history and it has a very dark history, and especially considering the fact that we are all all immigrants. So, so what was it about the fact that have you always um, these people seeking asylum and when you kept hearing "stop the boats, stop the boats"? Is that something that you've always known about the way that we treat asylum seekers? Because I particularly don't. I don't. I. I. I I've travelled all over the world. I'm I'm pretty grounded. I feel like I've seen how everyone, all all the other sides of the world live. You know, everybody's other, all the other cultures. But I don't really know too much about the way that we do treat asylum seekers. Was that something that you knew before? Um, no, I, it's something that policies? I didn't know very. I mean, I, I think it's always been in the background of Australian politics, especially since sort of the Tampa, the kids overboard type stuff uh, in the Howard years. But I didn't sort of pay it that much attention, um, and to to be honest, I don't. I'm not sort of that. Uh, I don't think about it on a daily basis, just because it's so grim. Mm-hmm. And and I and to be honest, my art isn't really about government policy. It's more about the emotion which those policies are trying to service in a way, mm-hmm. like the the assumptions that are out there within the populace about what it means to belong, what it means to be Australian, because the policy is is there to sort of service those fears in some ways. So that's why none of my posters really talk directly about um, government policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I just sort of follow it as I guess most Australians do. I can, you know, I've heard about... Uh, you know what's happening to the medivac bill and all that sort of stuff, but it's not really my my work isn't really about that directly. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say that your work is trying to do? Like, what are your if you're you know going out and and raising awareness and putting posters up um, all over Australia and all over the world? Like, what are you trying to? What are, you said there's a feeling. You mentioned before yeah, that there's the emotion, a, the, like the emotion, the the, the fear that is always there and directed towards outsiders that uh, there's a feeling that uh, we're the people that belong and the people that don't look like us are the people that don't belong. Us versus them. Yeah, and and that's the simplest way of putting it. Obviously, 
you can look at it in a more nuanced way in that uh, the people who fit in with our society and obey our laws are the ones that fit in and the ones that don't uh, need to be excluded. But sometimes the, the easiest way to identify, to see those people is they look different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually the way it gets uh, played out. And I just think Australians... I mean, I like to think of Australians as being very welcoming and I think uh, we are. That's when we're, we're at our best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... A, Addressing the fear and trying to, um, I guess, just help uh, help people <laughs> not be as afraid and to find their courage. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what the post is trying to do on a sort of gut level, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, look, I have a real problem with nationalism. I think it's a silly concept. You know, I think the the us versus them that we naturally do as human beings is one of the worst things in our in our makeup. You know, we have to find uh, them and we have to know who us are, you know? And I think, um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before with um, guests, we've, we've brought it up, but I actually think, it sounds silly and the listeners would have heard me talk about it before, but I actually think the best thing that could happen to us could, would be um, finding intelligent life in the, in the solar system or getting, um, having an asteroid hurtling towards us, Armageddon style, yeah. where we all have to band, band together, you know? But, they, um, but anyway, so... Um, I've lost my train of thought. You were just, you just smiling at the thought of an asteroid in here. I was thinking of Bruce Willis. Solution. Um, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think, yeah, I think nationalism is quite a silly concept, you know. I think that we all are, you know, we're all human beings and we should really help each other. But it isn't that simple. Um, hmm. but, but Australia, so considering the fact that, you know, we have a very... Uh, very large nation and and um, and lots and lots of space and we are we do seem to you know portray that we're welcoming to to people and um, and outsiders as we would call them I guess but what are we at our worst you said at our best we are welcoming but what are we at our worst what is the you know what, what is the dark history and and where are we still at in in you know underlying racism and so forth well, I, I don't think Australians are any different to anyone else in that we have the capacity for bigotry and racism. I don't like. There's sort of there are silly ways to pass this up and try to declare, uh, you know, to ask questions like, "Is Australia a racist country?" Which mm-hmm. is kind of a stupid thing to say. I mean, all people have the capacity for racism mm-hmm. and bigotry, and Australia has a, a history that demonstrates that because all people are at a base level we're animals you know mm-hmm. and we have uh that desire to just sort of to expel the other and to protect the in group mm-hmm. um and yeah australia history shows that but um so i just think so <laughs> but sorry i've tr- just <laughs> dissolved the question it's <laughs> fine that's fine um i yeah I, i'm not sure the Making sort of grand statements about what Australia's identity is, it's it, it can be done in a negative way on both sides. Mm. To, to declare ourselves completely good and righteous is mm-hmm. just as uh, false as to say, well, there are these impurities in our history when Australians have done terrible things. Therefore, the entire Australian project, to throw it out, mm-hmm. knock down the border... Um, you know, it it only leaves get on a boat, go back to England. Yeah, exactly. Again. It's it's that it is uh, it's nonsense, really. Yeah, and um, it's not it's not a thing that we could do. No, and it and it's sort of it's motivated by a kind of childish desire for perfection and, mm-hmm. and impurity, mm-hmm. uh, which has all kinds of uh, negative manifestations. So I think uh, what I try to do with all my posts is is find some sort of uh, negotiated compromise and that's true in say my Aussie posters which is, features a, a Muslim man who lived, worked and died in Australia uh, but the declaration at the bottom of the poster is Aussie mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, the vast majority of the people that like the posters are people that see it as yes we'll make this uh, we'll be welcoming to the people that uh, others want to exclude but there are also people that dislike the poster because it's saying it's using nationalism in an aspirational way saying mm-hmm. well why should we want to belong to uh, this thing called Australia because it's inherently corrupt because of this history we have mm-hmm. um, 
And so I, what I try to do with all my projects is, is piss off the people on, on both extremes. And once you're sort of getting criticised by the, the Puritans on both sides of the debate, uh, that, that's when I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, <laughs> because that's, it's sort of, you, if you do things in the right way, you, those people, uh, you know, the, the extremists, um, they expose themselves. They make themselves look silly by saying they're absurd arguments. And the people in the middle, all they have to do is just look at what's happening and go, oh, right, there are assholes on both sides. Mm-hmm. I think I'll meet everyone else in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what I try to do. <coughs> Interesting. Yeah, I like, your point about, um, I like your point about not painting everything in a dystopian, super negative picture, you know, trying to mm. provide a solution or or provide a, a, a narrative that can be really positive. Like, you know, the examples of the <coughs> the different Australians with different backgrounds that you, you know, highlight in all of your posters because <coughs> I think <coughs> um, one of the things that, um, one of the things that I think is a real um, juxtaposition is the, the fact that I think racism carries itself on through... Um, through the narrative a lot of the time when it shouldn't have to or when I wish it wouldn't. Um, for example, blackface, which is obviously blackface is extremely racist. Um, but I remember an example of, and I'm interested in your thoughts, but I remember an example of um, there was a kid in Frankston. You mentioned you were going to Frankston later on today. Yeah. So this kid was from Frankston. I have um, lots of family in Frankston. I, I played football in Frankston for a bit. I'm from further down the Mornington Peninsula, but Frankston's a pretty low socioeconomic area. Um, and I remember there was a kid who got, um, he was an 18 year old kid playing local senior football and he went to a, um, rap and R&B night and he dressed as, um, he dressed as Akon. So he just painted himself black. He went (laughs) blackface effectively. And this kid was smashed from pillar to post. Herald Sun, he was all over like, you know, inherent racism, what's wrong with Australia, blah, blah, blah. He, all the news outlets and so on and so forth and <clears throat> it came out I thought it was rough anyway because um, I, I didn't see that it was it didn't seem like it was meant to be hurt anyone's feelings or, or that it was racist but it came out um, like seven days later that the kid had never heard of blackface before you know so it's the, the narrative is and that you know I, I just have such an issue with, with that I mean it has to get to a point we have to understand our history but we have to be forgiving enough in certain scenarios to not propagate no, no, but the thing more is, of the us we, versus if, them. If we, what do you think? But if we forgive those people, then it's only by just crushing them in the, like, that we can destroy racism forever. Like that's, that's kind of what motivates those massive pylons is mm. that we found... Because the, what, what's really going on there is that all these people that know deep down in their hearts that they are also imperfect. Mm. They see someone else just flagrantly being ignorant and um, you know dressing up in blackface or doing something which can be mm. construed as offensive all these other people get this chance to go right you know let's uh, take it all out on them it's mm. kind of they're raging against their own imperfectibility really yeah um, and it's it, the world's always been like that we're not going to be at it like we can't sort of stop it from happening but I just think it does seem like it's it, it's sort of getting worse in some ways, um, and, and obviously the, you know the thing to say is that you know it's the way the media has changed. Social media allows mm. all these people to pile on at once, but um, yeah, that desire for moral purity and to scapegoat someone else's stupid behaviour mm. um, that's always been with us. It's just that now you can jump on some kid for doing something stupid at a party. Um, and the whole country can get into it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it just seemed really sad to me, you know? No, like, uh, because yeah. this kid is now painted as a racist and the narrative of us versus them is fired right up. It's on the front page of the Herald Sun and, and Ricky Gervais has talked about it before and I'm a big fan of Ricky Gervais and, and I've, I don't know why he brought it up or, or why it was on topic when um, he was asked a question but, and he sits on the same side of the fence as me in this regard where he's like, it's intent. You know, like if he's not intending yeah. to be, and you can't but, measure intent. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of um, at what it's point, unquantifiable. It's sort of yeah. inside your own mind. You know? Yeah, that's right. At what point can we say, "Hey, we're all one person," and this guy's not trying to be racist to anyone for something that happened a hundred years ago? Like, let's just go about our days and not worry about 
the racism part of this like not bring up I don't know it is but I understand I understand the cultural significance of blackface so it's a really it is a it is a tough position like I remember with the with the kid in Frankston Nick Natanui um, West Coast Eagles player um, <clears throat> so he's got dark skin I remember he was asked about it and he said oh I used to absolutely um, love it when the all the kids at um, at the games would paint themselves black like me and then once I realized once I realized about blackface I just found that it was really sad that they hadn't been educated well enough in their... That was the quote that he came out with and I was like, hang on a sec. Hang on a sec, yeah, how did that <laughs> yeah. flip? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even know about it. Yeah. I just think it's it's like, I, I don't... Well, it's not part of our culture, is it? It's an American thing yeah. of minstrels yeah. and... and uh, <sighs> so, yeah, it's... People try to... Um, propagate... I yeah. feel like they try and propagate racism. Not 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 propagate it, but try and I, I, get, I get what you're saying though. Yeah. Raise the because it was in this in this particular instance there was no racist. Well, let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. You know? Yeah, well, hypothetically, yeah. You, I mean, you can look at it two different ways. That maybe it was purely like those kids dressing up at the the game that mm-hmm. um, you mentioned just before. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was all just out of love. There was mm-hmm. the intent was purely. Um, wanting to identify with somebody that they uh, admired, admired, idolized. Uh, so there's that possibility. The other possibility is that it was just pure hatred, <laughs> and um, that's the way the, that person expressed that. Um, both, uh, I, you know, and how can you possibly measure it or or prove it? Mm. Either way, and so the solution uh, culturally at the moment seems to be well, we don't know. So let's just stop those things. And and what that does is it creates this sort of cultural boundary and subordinates culture to uh, politics. Mm-hmm. And we actually need culture in order to... Um, that's what art can do is show us that these political boundaries are ultimately not real mm-hmm. and that we are all humans and that culture is a way of sort of communicating across political boundaries. Um, and so the more we sort of... Uh, take the power away from culture and say that no it's you know only people of color can make people of color culture and white people can only make white people culture mm-hmm. as soon as you start thinking that way culture becomes less powerful and less mm-hmm. able to talk across the the aisle or across mm-hmm. the political political boundary so mm-hmm. i don't know i'm always i'm an artist so i will always come down on the side of culture and its ability to transcend those boundaries yeah. and it's a cult- it's the artist's responsibility to try to find the cracks in the argument and to sort of to get over those boundaries because otherwise if if we can only make culture that's f- for the people that look like us and yeah. they can only make their culture if it comes down to that we're fucked because yeah. we can't communicate we can't sort of show each other that we're human anymore mm-hmm. um and yeah, I don't want to live in a world that's like that. So, I'm not. This is not me advocating for blackface. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, can the, see the, I can see the headlines tomorrow when the, after the show's released. <laughs> Peter Drew, <laughs> um, racist. No, yeah, you got to. Yeah, but you got to find ways around it. And there, is, there are things which just get become um, uh, radioactive and fine. Um, but. The human imagination never gives up. It's mm. so boundless that it will just find a way around. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's that will just continue to happen. I don't really sort of um, have... Uh, I just think culture is so powerful that it will just keep um, finding ways of breaking the rules. And Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think um, one of the... Um one of the interesting things is art seems to transcend culture and, and the, the cultural nar- narrative that's being told. You know, so for example, um, it's a lot harder for a politician or a public figure or a celebrity or a sports star or something to go out and draw a line in the sand and say, this is where I sit and create a narrative compared to an artist. And I mean an artist in the way that you do your art. Or an artist as in, and I use this example because I'm just very, I've seen more of it, but comedians, for example, mm-hmm. and, and uh, musicians, but particularly comedians. Like some of my favorite comedians are quite, uh, they're not quite political on one, like left or right, but 
kind of political satirists, I guess. Like George Carlin, for example. Like if you watch George Carlin, are you familiar with George, yeah, with yeah, George yeah. Carlin? Yeah. So George Carlin, I've only really watched all of his later stuff in his uh, in his older in, in his um, older years. You know, white balding, hair tied back, white beard, George Carlin. So, but he was very he was a very vanilla comedian for you know when he was the first 20 years of his career and then he became more of a political satirist and people just absolutely loved it but he was so smart and he could you know break through the barriers I guess and tell the stories and show the ridiculousness of the way that we do things because realistically we're so hypocritical we're so um, we have so many oversights we're so silly in what we do day to day and I think it is the job of art in whatever shape it is whether it's you know with a with a brush, whether it's with a microphone, whether it's on stage telling jokes, I think it's a really important. Um, it's like the jester at, at court, you know, in the in you know hundreds and thousands of years ago, or maybe they didn't have jesters thousands of years ago. But you, it's the same thing, though. I get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think um, it's hugely important. Yeah, because it, it, it's the person that stands up and says the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I love comedy, and it's 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 funny, isn't it, how that form of person standing up on stage of a microphone it seems to have become more powerful and interesting and, and <laughs> crucial over the last uh ten, fifteen years. It's I don't know, that that position is more needed because there's just so much noise um and there's something sort of so honest and real because when you're standing on stage and just talking for microphone there's no there's no hiding you know mm. it's it's sort of just one person and their thoughts and yeah the comedy that i like is the the person that sort of tries to say the right thing and then goes and says the wrong thing and sort of the two coexist yeah and it's such a relief to people because everybody has those thoughts they explore things they're not meant to in their mind mm. um <coughs> and until we sort of talk about that um, you can't have that catharsis, you know, mm. because, um, yeah, otherwise you're just locked in, in your own head thinking, should I be thinking these things? And mm. when you're not allowed to uh, discuss that stuff, that's when, I don't know, I think that's when people start to, you know, things become toxic or, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's like just by getting it out, it can, things evaporate and you yeah. don't need to think about it anymore. Yeah, and I think the thing is... <clears throat> Um, I remember Kevin Kelly talking about um, the future, the futurist Kevin Kelly, and he talked about um, 12... 12 his, I've got his book over there. Um, <coughs> uh, he talks about 12 um, trends for the future, and one of them is breaking, <coughs> breaking the algorithm. So the reason I say that is because you, you said how everything, you know, racism or, you know, people choosing one side of the fence <coughs> and really leaning in is probably worse than ever. And I think it's because of the algorithm. You know, we're fed via Instagram, Facebook, mainly YouTube. Um, we're fed more of what we like. And if we sit really, you know, if we're really left or really right or we're really this or really that <coughs> politically or ideologically, then we're going to be fed more and more and more and more of that. Mm-hmm. So <coughs> Dave Chappelle's re- recent comedy special, um, it got rave reviews from... 50% of the audience, greatest comedy special of all time. And then it got, oh my God, Dave Chappelle, what a racist, homophobic, you know, misogynist yeah, asshole. Like the ratio between the like the fan reviews was super high. And then there's like all, all, all their like Guardian articles yeah. were like, well, it's time for us. To, sorry, we're going to have to cancel Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And But I think it's just such a shock to people to hear the other side, you know. And because yeah. we get fed so much, if you... If you lean right politically, then you know. If you have someone come out and just absolutely smash the right wing in um, in a stand-up show, it's going to be a real shock to you because you're just not used to hearing and seeing it laid out like that. And Dave was the other way around. I guess it was more like you know, giving it to the left and the Me Too culture and and, and so forth. But um, he railed against the right just as hard. Yeah, I mean, he hates Trump, and yeah. it's it's so yeah. But it does seem like the the discourse is getting more. Uh, divided I don't know whether it is or whether it's just the, the way we communicate is you know all those thoughts that used to just be unexpressed um, and now can be the algorithm can collect them all together and mm. and uh, create these enormous bubbles um, but I mean I don't really know the solution there I think that 
Is yeah. this some sort of a Fair News Act? Remember, I don't know much about it, but <clears throat> I know that back in the day, um, newspapers had to print print a certain amount of, you know, liberal and a, and a you know, a right. certain amount of left and a certain amount of right. Whereas, <clears throat> and this is what, um, yeah, Kevin Kelly mentioned, it was, was there needs to be an evening up of the algorithms because you can go down a rabbit hole for, some people watch 10 hours of YouTube straight on a, you know, Friday night sitting at home and, and it's one thing, you know. For me, I watch heaps of YouTube because I've got Apple TV. I watch too much YouTube. Um, but I just go down UFC, um, NBA and Joe Rogan podcast, you know. So I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. But, um, but yeah, you get fed the same thing over and over and over and I think it's just going to create that um, stronger stance in your head whereas <clears throat> Kevin Kelly's idea was he thinks it will get so bad in the future <clears throat> that there'll have to be somebody will have to step in and say, right, YouTube, you have to have, instead of your algorithm saying, hey, here's four more of the videos that you'll absolutely love on, you know, whatever topic you're looking at. It forces you to watch, some, watch something. Well, it's like, hey, here's, here's um, have you ever thought about checking out this particular video <laughs> in relation to these three videos that you've watched? Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is pretty, um, that's not probably ever going to happen, but that's kind of, something like that would be healthy and it's kind of what we need, I feel like. Yeah, well... I, f- I think about my <clears throat> consumption of social media and I I follow as much stuff as I really don't like as stuff that I do in a way. Yeah. Because um, it's sort of, it's entertaining to <laughs> to just to read and watch the things that are not so much opposed but just tr- and, and to try to find the middle ground between yeah. them because otherwise you're just, you know, soaking a bath of your own opinions <laughs> and... <laughs> I mean, that's kind of... I know what you mean about the YouTube binges because it's you just get fired up because <laughs> all that stuff, especially the politically geared stuff, is about gawking at the other side, sort of setting up a straw man of the other side and going, oh, it doesn't make any sense. And then they'll move on to the next one and go, oh, look, this is another thing they did which is stupid. Oh, they're idiots. Mm. And, and it's, you can sort of dish that crap up to people endlessly and both sides do it and they sort of develop an audience that sort of goes yeah the other side they're idiots and I don't know it's kind of there are a lot of people these sort of political entrepreneurs that, that do that and it's it's ultimately insulting to their audience because it's just it's kind of dumb like uh, trying to find a middle ground is so much harder um, but it's it's ultimately where sort of a, a sense of peace lies mm. um, in some sort of compromise between both sides Um but yeah, I uh, and I feel best of all when I just go. You know what? I'm just gonna not look at my fucking phone today. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, oh I just I hate the feeling that you get at the end of the day when you go, oh, why do I feel like shit? Oh, I've got to spend too much time on my phone, or I've just spent hours looking at YouTube shit. But if you just just end a day which I've gone, you know, what? I haven't used it much today. You just feel better, hundred um, percent. And so I try to do that, but but it's hard because that's where. Everything's happening. Oh my god! I um, where's my phone? I um, oh it's over there. I uh, I had my ha- housemate um controlled my um my housemate controlled my passcode on my phone, so I got him to lock me out of all my apps, <laughs> and I didn't have the code for it, so I couldn't get into any apps. But now I've got it again. He moved away. I've got the code, and now I'm just like this all day every day. But um, I tried to not be able to use my phone apart from like I could use Uber and the bank and you know stuff like that after. 7.30 p.m. and before 7.30 a.m. And then I was trying to shorten that window. I was going all right with it. And then now I wake up at 5.45 and I get straight on my phone. It's yeah. Terrible. It's like, yeah, it's hard to get going in the morning until you're looking at an app. <laughs> but yeah. But that's a, that's a, that's a whole other uh, story. So, um, <clears throat> so with everything that you know about, I mean, you say that you, you know, watch as much um, opposing ideas and follow as many opposing accounts or whatever on your social medias. Try to. Yeah, that's probably that's because probably you're a smart guy and because of the field that you're in, you have to understand what's going on narrative-wise on both sides, I, I would say. And that's really good. That, that's really good. But <clears throat> knowing what you know, and particularly regarding Australia, what would you like to see happen in Australia and change over the next 5, 10, 20 years? I'm sure you've thought long and hard about it you've got a very you know you've got a stance on to be honest I mean I I, in some ways I don't um, 
I um, I mean, all of my art is really motivated by curiosity to seeing mm. seeing how people react, not sort of telling. Even like a statement like "Real Australians say welcome," I made it ultimately because I want to find out whether real Australians do say welcome. It's mm. not. It's not my desire to change the world as much as it is a desire to find out what the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really the difference between art and, and propaganda. I think what I make is art disguised as propaganda because there's this amazing hunger for propaganda at the moment. People yeah. want these political certainties. Um, so I don't think about... Uh, policy and how to fix the country or how to fix mm-hmm. the world. I really think the thing that I think most about is just personal psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, how um, people, uh, and you know, especially myself, uh, how I can go about my life in a way which is uh, beneficial to me and the people around me. And sort of in, in concentric circles, my community, my city, my country, the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's something everyone can do. They can all because you look at the entire world and how to fix Australia, how to fix the climate. Oh, like yeah, these yeah, problems yeah. are too big, and it's yeah. so. Um, yeah, you got to start in your own backyard. No, absolutely, and and you can you've always got control over that, uh, and ultimately that's all you really have control over. Mm. Um, so that's yeah, that's what I try to focus on. So that's that's my way of completely avoiding that question. Yeah, no, you've avoided them well. <laughs> I'm trying to load up with some uh, some real heavy hitting. Heavy hitting stuff here. To I, I think, and I, I, I know it must be frustrating, but I think that no, no, it's, it's not frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm all good, mate. I, I just think that. Um, I'm like, fuck. Oh, you walk out there, like, fuck that guy. <laughs> no, no, I just, cool. I think that um, it's it's quite possible for people to get the wrong impression about me that I uh, am very sort of politically minded, but I just, um, yeah, it's just not really what I. I sort to see it as a trap of being it's a so much like because I, I wrote this book Poster Boy and it's very yeah. much about why I did the Poster Projects and what I've discovered about myself and I think that a lot of people get into politics this is me explaining what I did I got into uh, political art for therapeutic reasons in a lot mm-hmm. of ways and a lot of people do this they go <laughs> I want to avoid all this shit inside I'm going to do that by trying to fix the world mm-hmm. um, because the internal problems uh, when it comes to family, relationships, uh, your own imperfectibility, that stuff's super hard. So hard, in fact, that fixing the whole world seems easier. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it not only... It's sort of more socially rewarding as well. You get more uh, virtue points by taking on the world rather than going, you know what, I've just been fixing up my own shit mm-hmm. people aren't going to sort of uh, give you as much praise for that so there's just so many incentives to uh, avoid the internal problems and to seek out external validation mm-hmm. um, yeah and I, I'm interested in that I'm interested in why uh, why that seems to be harder to avoid now than it than it was before you know the internet really mm-hmm. yeah interesting so your own backyard so Talk to me more about that. So you, you say you you had um, issues that you needed to address. Like, was it um, like childhood stuff? Was it some some stuff in your in your day to day that you're not happy with at the moment, or like mostly? I mean, there's a lot of family stuff. A lot of the book is about family <coughs> things that were avoided, and just a an inability to deal with emotion in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, for various reasons that I go into in the book, but um, my family, we d- really didn't discuss uh, things. There was no, there was no uh, forgiveness. There was no, no people saying "I'm sorry" and the other side saying "That's all right, yeah. I forgive you." Although that's not ever really expressed explicitly, there was just this. Uh, that mechanism was missing. Mm-hmm. You know, people would have conflicts, they'd avoid one another, and then they'd just move on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I just had to, you know, I found becoming an adult, that was a skill I had to learn, Mm -hmm. uh, in my relationships with friends and, and and partners especially. Um, and I, I just think about that sort of what would the world be like if we didn't have forgiveness? Um, and it, 
and it seems on the grand scale that's that's something that we are forgetting. We don't forgive people. We go, that person did the wrong thing. Yeah. Cancel that person because they are impure and yeah. uh, because forgiveness is kind of a... It's a, traditionally it's a theological concept. It's a mm-hmm. spiritual concept of that person has done wrong, but they've admitted it, and we are all imperfect, mm-hmm. so we forgive them. And if we lose that mechanism within a society, uh, we're fucked. Yeah, hundred percent fucked. Because we're all dirtbags at the end of the day. We all fuck everything up. Yeah, and it's even if it's even if your external behaviour seems. Uh, perfect everyone's got thoughts in their mind that are uh, fucked up <laughs> and and if you and I think the more that you try to have a perfect exterior eventually the thoughts will rebel um, because that's a part of you too mm-hmm. um, even if you don't admit it to yourself it's just bubbling away there um, and so yeah there needs to be some release valve you know and that's art that's comedy that's mm-hmm these things that allow people to go, oh, we're fucked, you know, we're <laughs> fucked up and then it gets out and you sort of, and you do it together, you sort of yeah. see each other, oh, we're all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It feels fantastic. Yeah, let's have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's all be friends. Yeah, it's empathy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to the human race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I, yeah, I try, I try, I um uh, I'd like to do that more for my posters, but uh I mean ultimately it, that's what we all want from art and culture is that feeling of of uh, of shared empathy, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting when that happens through people admitting their faults. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I go into a lot in the book is is trying to sort of do a real deep dive into my past and why because it's a weird thing. What I do is a weird thing. You know, mm. travelling around the country sticking up posters. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. what uh, do you do with yourself? Oh I'm a I'm a poster boy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh you're one of those. Oh there's only one. Oh okay. You're weird. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I stick up posters, yeah. No, it is interesting, yeah. Um so yeah I had to just sort of go, why do I do this? And uh, so uh and the only way I could explain that was by yeah, thinking a lot about my past and family and all of that stuff. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. And have you had, um, throughout the whole process, <clears throat> you must have had some pretty rewarding conversations with people. You know, you've probably had some pretty pretty hard conversations with certain people and certain... certain. Um, but but you must it must be rewarding to you, right? To have people come up and yeah, change no, their mind or open the, open the conversation or open their eyes a little bit? Yeah, there's, they fit into a bunch of different patterns i mean a lot of it um the stuff that i it always surprises me when i get messages from people who are sort of recent immigrants or asylum seekers saying that the posters have made them feel more welcome and that's Mm -hmm. it's always it's very sort of affecting when it happens because it's it's just unexpected you know um must be a great feeling well, it's good. It's 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 so much better than because when I started, I was thinking, right, we're gonna sort of get the pollies. It's yeah. gonna be about changing Go policy. Yeah, Hit them where it hurts. and it was t- too big a goal for one person to really yeah. have. But that person-to-person interaction <laughs> of I've uh, been living here for a short time. Your posters spoke to me. Thank you for doing that. That's it, you know that's so much more rewarding, and yeah. that's sort of definitely kept me going then there are the people that dislike the posters for various reasons um and the conflicts of uh have of people on the street because that's very sort of in your face like online you can sort of <laughs> you <laughs> know what you want troll anyone yeah and and the the nature of the conflict so much this it's so much easier to not have empathy for the person but when you're in someone's face it's such a weird mix of emotions because they're get, getting angry at you but also you can see them getting guilty for getting angry at you. It's all happening at once. Mm. Um, I've got a, a bunch of stories about that, which I sort of talk about in the book a, a lot. Um, then the, on, then there are the interactions which are slightly more unexpected. That there was, There's one I talk about in the book about uh, a lady in... Uh, it, was in the, it was near Potts Point, which mm-hmm. it, it was a sort of... Inner Sydney. Yeah, wealthy area. And I was actually, I was dressed in my gear, uh, workwear. So I looked like a someone who works on the street. And I was 
actually fixing up a poster that I stuck up uh, a couple of days beforehand because it wasn't the corner was peeling off mm-hmm. and she starts filming me on her phone and saying uh, no you don't uh this neighborhood's wide enough, thanks very much. Like, she thought that I was taking the poster down. <laughs> yeah, right. And I just thought, fuck, this is... Like, I, I can't stop people from using my posters to assert the superiority of their class mm-hmm. um, because I looked like a working-class yob who was going to go, oh, fuck this poster. Yeah. And I think that's super interesting because there are actually perfectly legitimate reasons for wanting to limit immigration on economic grounds if you are especially if you're at the bottom of the labor market you, you want you don't want people coming overseas to take your jobs yep. and traditionally the the left has uh protected those uh people by saying look you're the members of <coughs> unions and we're going to uh you know protect your you know because <laughs> you can't you, um, that doesn't work if you have limitless labor. If mm. if uh, it's always you can always sort of undercut those people at the bottom of the labor market. But anyway, now if people sort of try to express those views, there's uh, it's almost impossible for them to express that without being accused of xenophobia, yeah. bigotry, mm. um, and so uh, I just think that's that's a shame uh, and. And meanwhile, it's very easy for people who are very well off to say, well, I'm uh, welcoming of others. I cherish diversity. Um, it becomes this way of asserting their class superiority. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a really unfortunate political dynamic that sort of yeah. that's, uh, develops it's in this country. Easy, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not an easy thing to wrap your head around, the, the, the issues around. Everything that we've spoken about. <coughs> yeah. Um, but I like, um, I really like your point as to um, focusing on, and I know we've got to get you out of here shortly. Oh, do um, we? I was, I was sorry. <laughs> focusing on the, um, focusing on the micro rather than the macro and, and on an individual basis, you know, like, because all these people that come up and thank you, it's probably a really positive thing for you. It's probably a real warm and fuzzy and it probably makes you feel amazing. But on a scale, it's probably nothing in, on a scale compared to how amazing or how much better you've made them feel, you know? Really, like think of being somewhere day-to-day, 24-7, and not feeling welcome, you know? Feeling like an outsider, feeling like they're not, you know? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a terrible, terrible feeling to wrap your head around, so... Well, I think that it's... <clears throat> it, even if 99% of someone's life is all these people having peaceful, loving interactions, it's, only, it's that one person that says, fuck off, you're never going to mm. belong here, mm. um... <laughs> that's that will ruin your whole year, 100%. you know, because oh you God. you start thinking that person is everyone. Yeah, they're just hiding it or or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've never really had to have that. I mean, I've had uh, awful interactions in my life, but it's never really um being made to feel like you fundamentally don't belong yeah. for something that you can't change. So that you know, that's it's un-Australian to to do that to people. So, um, yeah. And I, I just, I try to focus on that, on that sort of one-to-one um, sort of help that everyone can do. I mean, it's not just someone like me sticking up posters. Everyone making others feel welcome. It can uh, have a net sort of accumulative uh, benefit for everyone else. So, yeah. 100%. All right. And <clears throat> in the next, um, you know, in the not too distant future, in the in the you know long, um, long term, oh, I can't string my words here today. One um, of my future plans is yeah. That, yeah. Uh, what do you want to say, What do you want to do with yourself over the next you know five, ten, twenty years with what you do? With what I do, um, I am starting another book, which is about um, <coughs> about men and women actually, um, which is you know something that I think about a lot. So quite different to the poster projects. And we haven't spoken about that at all today. So, so, but um, that's something I'm thinking about a lot and working on. Um, I'm always going to make posters. And I think I'm always going to make posters about Australian identity. Mm-hmm. I really love the idea of being an old man 
sort of mixing up the glue and going out and uh, <laughs> sticking up posters. Because <laughs> the streets, it's always going to be there. There are yeah. always going to be streets, streets and <laughs> ugly walls. And yeah. So I'll just, uh, and I love doing it. I just love the the adventure and, and the interactions with people that love and, and hate my posters. <laughs> so that's, I think I'll, I'll never stop. That's but, um Yeah, I just, I want to do other things as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right, no worries. Well, Peter, um, before we wrap it up, where can people find you? Um, links to, to the books and websites, anything you want to plug? Um, where can people find you and learn more? Well, my book, Poster Boy, is out everywhere now. Uh, you can find me at Peter Drew Arts on all the social media platforms. Uh, and yeah, look for my posters on the street. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, Peter Drew, thanks for coming on the show. It's thanks been a pleasure. Me. Cool, and that's a wrap. Alrighty, guys. If you enjoyed that show, please support us. Uh, There's many ways you can support the show. You can support the show by telling a friend. You can support the show by commenting on our social media, tagging a mate. You can support the show by subscribing. So all good platforms for podcasts we're we're, uh, available on. So uh, um, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, and also, you can subscribe via YouTube at Bill Kerr TV. Also, don't forget to check out trueprotein.com today. Use the code BRO for 10% off. Check out au.yeti.com forward slash BRO to check out the best coolers in the business. And then check out athena.co, A-T-H-Y-N-A, and use the code BRO when you inquire. Um, to chat about a live demo for, uh, for, for building your team and use the code BRO and you'll get 20 hours free of uh, virtual assistant services with us. This has been Philosophy Through the Eyes of an Idiot and see you next week. <laughs>